still on their way, a chance to get here, and then we don't leave them behind. So, um, yes, last week we started looking at the course, um, Biblical Perspective of Supportive Ministry, and um, we were inclined to start with a definition or with a question to ask ourselves, what is the supportive ministry? But then, before we started looking at that, we said, let's lay a foundation. Let's address three issues that will help us to um, grasp the, that would help us to answer that question properly. What is the supportive ministry? I remember that last week we spoke about the fact that there are two sides to our relationship with God. We are both sons and servants. We are sons of God and we are servants of God. So it's very important for us to know these two principles and have them in balance. You would remember we said there are some churches that seem to emphasize the idea that we are sons of God too much. Now, on paper, <laughs> our sonship, the fact that we are sons of God, does not seem like something that can be emphasized too much. How can having a... Um, having a revelation of the truth that we are sons of God, how can it be bad? Do you get what I mean? It's a good thing. In fact, there are some Christians that their problem is they don't understand the fact that they are sons of God. You know? So, on paper, it doesn't look like it can be bad. But the only perspective from which we are saying that it is bad is that you may be emphasizing that truth at the expense of another equally valid truth. You know, doctors will tell you that for you, to, um, for you to remain healthy, you must eat a balanced diet. I'm sure we've all heard that before. Yes. Now, when they tell you the reason why you are not healthy is because you are not eating a balanced diet, it doesn't mean that what you are eating is poison. Is that you are eating all you are eating at the expense of what you should also be eating. When we say somebody is not eating a balanced diet, we are not saying all the food you have been eating, stop eating them. Because they are, that's not what we are saying. We are saying add these other types of food so that there will be balance. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking about balanced diet in the presence of a graduate of human nutrition. I should actually have allowed um, Pastor Paul to come, and, to come and explain that part to us so that we'll get it very well. So in case I've made a mistake with my layman's attempt, please forgive me, sir. <laughs> so, but what I'm trying to say is, when we say that you are emphasizing the idea of sonship too much, it's not that sonship is bad for you is that you must not emphasize it at the expense of the reality that we are also servants. And it's the same thing. You could also emphasize being a servant too much to the point that you don't even believe that God has any obligation to do anything for you unless you first of all do something for him. The truth is, God at the same time is our father and our master. We are meant to serve as sons. There is a difference between the way a son serves. You know, a son does not say, Daddy, what will you give me before I wash your car? Or Mommy, what will you give me before I iron your clothes? 
That's not the way sons speak. As a parent, you'll be concerned when your son starts to speak like that. Okay, I'll do it, but what will you give me? I gave you your life first. Before you, you were able to do anything for me, I did so much for you. So you are meant to serve me, but with the mentality of a son, not the mentality of a servant. And then we went on to talk about the fact that um, there is a lot of great ways in which the leadership movement has been a blessing to the world. You know, they've been a blessing to the church of God. Not just the Church of God, even secular organizations have benefited from the leadership movement, their books, their tapes. But we looked at one of their very common um, statements, you know, and we said, are we sure that is always true? If you were here, you would remember I'm talking about that statement, everything rises and falls on leadership. We said it is true that many times when things are going well, it's because of the leader. And it's also true that many times when things are not going so well, it's also the fault of the leader. But many times should not magically become every time. Most of the time should not, we should never get to that point where we say that most of the time is the same thing as all the time. Jesus provided great leadership to his disciples, but at the end of the day, Peter still betrayed him. Jesus provided great leadership to his disciples, but at the end of the day, uh, well, I meant to say Peter denied him, and then um, Judas betrayed him. So sometimes, no matter how good the leader is, there will be followers, people who are meant to support, that will cause problems in the walk. I remember at that point we said, in this course, we are trying to address the address issues associated with supportive ministry. So don't come away with the idea that, oh, they just came and they started saying that everything that goes wrong in the church, everything that's not working too well in the church is our fault. Sometimes leaders can have challenges too, but those challenges we address in other courses. This course is focused strictly on supportive ministry. So we said Many times for a church to do well, the team must be as good, the supportive team must be as good as the pastor, if not better. You know, we can have a great pastor and a great supportive team, but if for one reason we cannot have the two, I would prefer a situation where we have a great team supporting a not-so-great pastor. I've seen ministries that when you look at the pastor, you cannot explain how this man has such a big and thriving ministry until you look at the team behind him. And I've seen churches where when you see how gifted the pastor is, you don't understand why the church is struggling until you see the team behind him. And then you realize, oh, it's because the team is not providing good support. The other man, it's because the team is providing great support. So, you know, we need to come to that place where we are able to provide excellent um, support for the pastors of this church. Of course, they have their own parts to play. They have their own contribution to make. We may not be able to do well if they don't do well, but let's play our own part by giving them all the support that they need. And then we went on from there to talk about loneliness in leadership. 
we said many times leaders are lonely and by that we don't mean that they don't have people surrounding them we mean that they have people whose um, inclination to follow is um, how would I put it now is negotiated they are not totally committed they can be there for you they can support you when things are rosy you know they can be there for you they can provide you know you think that ah these are good people the way they they always come to church they are always diligent they are always serving until there is a problem one of the things that marks Jesus as a perceptive leader is he was able to say to the 12 that all of you will run away tonight and he was right it wasn't Jesus' negative confession that made all of them to run away. It's that he knew that where they are now, where they are now, they can't, they are, not, they are not, they are ready to follow, but not to the point of risking their lives with him. And we see that in the body of Christ today. People say, ah, pastor, you know it's you that God called. Me, I'm just coming to this church because it's close to my house. You know, sometimes people that say that are people that have been here for donkey years that the pastor has even taken as, ah, this is my family. This is, you know, this is someone that has been there for me in the past. Well, maybe the challenge at that time was not as bad as. I tell, you know, I tell um, husbands, I tell pastors, the kind of challenge that will make you to know whether your people, your wife, your church members are truly loyal, may you never experience it. Because by time you, when they say, ah, let us see whether his wife is loyal, you cannot use good times, easy times to test that. Do you get my point? You can't. It's only when things are really bad that you will know. And then you remember we moved on from there to now address the issue of supportive ministry. We said, what is the supportive ministry? We said, it's everything that is not um, pulpit ministry. It's everything that is not fivefold ministry. Then we went on from there to say, even the assistant pastors who are called to fivefold ministry in a church, they are still expected to provide supportive leadership to the lead pastor. And then we went on to say, even the lead pastor is a supportive minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. The lead pastor is not here to represent himself. You know, if, if I'm attending a church and the lead pastor says, well, I am here to do my own thing. I'm not here to represent Jesus. You know, I'll know I'm in the wrong church. You know, the lead pastor must always be in place as a supportive minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we said because of that, all of us are supportive ministers. And went on from there too. Look at the same idea presented in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, 20, verse 27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Verse 28 says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. And remember we said that the same way God set apostles and prophets in the church, he set helps in the church. We mentioned that sometimes we look down on the ministry of helps, but it is actually the most indispensable ministry in the body of Christ. Today when I was running late, it was, um, it was uh, Pastor Uti that called me. Pastor Paul could not call me because he was on the pulpit leading worship. 
Imagine if there was no supportive ministry. He would have been leading us in singing and calling me at the same time to find out where I am. Do we, do we see how absurd that is? If there is no supportive ministry, the pastor would have to do everything by himself. You know, I like a quote from someone, I can't remember, I think it's Tony Cook now, who says, who said, God calls individuals, but those individuals are meant to raise teams. If you look at scripture, you find that there are only very few people in, in the Bible who did ministry without a team. And those people, their ability, they always end up frustrated. Look at Elijah. Elijah then would say, it is only me, it is only me. And instead of sympathizing with him, God said, how come it is only you? You didn't raise anybody. And see, God told him, okay, go and anoint Elisha to be prophet in your stead. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yes. So look at John the Baptist. Well, even John the Baptist had his own disciples, but he seemed to be like some sort of loner. You know? So it's very, very important for us to, to know that one of the effective ways of doing ministry that God recognizes is providing supportive leadership to someone that has the call of God upon their life. Too many times you find somebody who you find people who have been in a church 10 years, 15 years, they'll say, Well, I, I think I want to start ministry. And I always ask, What have you been doing all the while that you have been in that church? We have this idea in the body of Christ that only the lead pastor is doing ministry. That's not true. All of us who are here in a supportive role, we are in the ministry of helps. Remember we said the ministry of helps is the most indispensable? The ministry of helps is the ministry that has the greatest number of people. We said last week that if we called for a meeting of all the pastors in Nigeria, all the lead pastors in Nigeria, Pastor Adeboe could probably host us at Redemption Camp or something. You know, I think we can all fit in that three-by-three three auditorium. But if they say all the people in supportive ministry in Nigeria to come together, there is no place that can host us. There is no auditorium. There is no, there is no way because that would be like saying all the Christians in Nigeria should come together, you know? Now, let's even leave the definition of supportive ministry that we gave in this training. Let them just announce that all the church workers in Nigeria, all the church volunteers should come together. There's no place that can contain us, you know? We are the ones that are the... And, you know, sometimes when you have something in too much quantity, you tend to despise it. You tend to stop seeing that it is valuable, you know, if you ask people, would you, should I give you a keg of water or a keg of petrol? Most people will say, give me the keg of petrol. If I, if possible, make it diesel. <laughs> but you can't drink the petrol or the diesel. You need the water to, take, to stay alive. But you've taken the water for granted because it's not as expensive. It's not as hard to come by in that sense like the diesel or the petrol. But you need it more than you need the others. So we are saying supportive ministry is indispensable ministry. We need it in the body of Christ. And then we moved on to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. 
We talked about the number of the disciples being multiplied in those days and then the um, Grecians murmuring against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the 12 came together to consider the matter and they said, look, it is no reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, look out from amongst you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. We said that the apostles refused to be distracted by the very important, very legitimate needs in the ministry because they realized that if I allow myself to be distracted by what is very important, I may not have time for what is very, very, very important. Do we get it? We said that's a challenge that many churches have. You know, the members are there coming to church every Sunday, and the pastor is there. He's the one running around to do so many things. We said sometimes the pastor is distracted from the work of the ministry by the work of the ministry. It's not everything that is a task in the church that the pastor must do. The pastor's default mode should be to focus on um, prayer and the ministry of the word while we have supportive ministers who can take charge of things that are not directly related to that. The indispensable task every church must be involved in is evangelism and discipleship. For most other things that are not strictly categorized in these two places, it will be nice if we have other people to help the pastor. So we, we looked at that and then went on to look at the qualifications of um, to look at the qualifications for deacons in um, in First Timothy chapter three from verse eight. Um, the, the Bible talks about the deacons being grave, you know, in the same way just as the bishops. And we said that the Bible does not give us a lower standard for supportive ministry. The same way the pastor is meant to live, to have good character, is the same way the supportive ministry should also have good character. The Bible doesn't tell us that pastor must live a holy life, but it's okay if those who are supporting him do not. The Bible has a high demand for all of us that we should, we, we should not give the enemy any cause, any cause to reproach us. In fact, the Bible says we should have a good reputation with them that are without. Even unbelievers must be able to say, well, I don't believe in this man's Christianity, but I know he is a good man. Unbelievers must be able to say about us. You know, I remember a story, and many times it's in the little things. I remember a story, um, a friend, I've not been in touch with him for years now, to be frank. But I remember that story, it happened then. He was working in a factory somewhere on Apapa Oshodi Expressway, working for um, an Indian. You know, the Indian man had a factory there. And then someone stole. So that man called the police to come and arrest all of them. And as they were taking them away to the police station, he said, stop. Um, Shayo is a Jesus man. You let him go? That's what the Indian said. Now, is that the only Christian in the, in the company? Do you understand my point? I don't know what their company was like. I didn't ask. But if it's like most places in Lagos, you find a good number of Christians, a good number of Muslims. You know? So why is it out of all of them? It's only this one that I said... You let him go. 
They had not done any investigation. They had not tried to find out how it happened. But it can't be this one. Let's not punish him for anything. Go home. So, you know, that's what we are talking about. You have a, a good reputation that even those that hate Christianity, that don't believe in it, that don't want to hear about Christianity, they will say, let's give it to this one. He's a good person. So, we moved on from there to talk about um, attitudes, commitments, and priorities of um, a great supportive minister. Where did we stop last week? Lest I go beyond... Oh, that's where we stopped. Attitudes. Okay, we talked about um, be faithful in the little, and then we stopped. Be that person. Do your work as unto the Lord. Okay, we stopped at do your work as unto the Lord. Okay, maybe I don't need to summarize those three because you seem like you know it very well. So let's go on now to um, talk about the commitments Commitments of a great supportive minister. Commitments of a great supportive minister. Remember, we looked at three attitudes. We'll look at four commitments and then three priorities. So, um, the first commitment that a great supportive minister should have is a devotion to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. A devotion to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. Now, what I'm I'm about to say now may seem strange, but it's the truth. Do you know there are people who are very zealous in church? They don't miss a meeting, they don't miss a service. They work hard. They, you know, when they ask the pastor, who are the workers that, you know, that are encouraging you in this church, he'll probably mention their names. But when you dig deep into their lives, they don't have a, they are, you know that thing you call quiet time is nothing to write home about. There are some great and mighty supportive ministers in the church that don't pray personally. Some don't read their Bibles personally. In fact, for some, the attitude is, ah, we'll pray when we get to church now. We pray a lot, oh. We don't joke with prayer in our church. You see, this church should not be so worded It can never be so worded that you don't need your own time of studying the Bible. This church cannot be so given over to prayer that I don't need, as a member, I don't need to pray anymore. Pastor Paul cannot be so, well, he has, the one I'm supposed to pray, he has prayed it for me. That must, that can never happen. It must never happen. All of us must have that personal devotion to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. You know, the thing about these commitments is we are stating the commitments in their correct order. So, we'll see that when we are rounding up this issue of commitments. But the first commitment I should have as a supportive minister 
is a commitment to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. You know, look at the qualification for Dickens. He said, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What that means is, I must understand, I must understand what you would refer to as the mystery of Christianity. That's the way the KJV puts it, but a more modern translation will say, the secret of the faith. I must understand Christianity in detail. And my conscience towards my understanding of Christianity must be pure. What do we mean? I must know that this Christianity is not just that I know it theoretically. I am also practicing it. It's important for me as a supportive minister to also know the Bible. We must not get to that point where we say, I am, am I the one preaching in church? Do you, do you get what I mean? Yes, because the Bible is given to us not primarily to be preached, but to be lived. The reason why we have preaching in the body of Christ is to help us live, is to help us obey, understand and obey the scriptures better than we would if we were just doing it on, on our own. Do we, do we see what I'm saying? Yes, we should have pastors teaching us, we should have shepherds feeding us, but we ourselves, we must also have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and a very good grasp of the Word of God. Too many times we have supportive ministers, church workers. In fact, where it is worse sometimes is when you have somebody who is a full-time staff of the church. I don't know if we have um, full-time church members here. I mean, so, well, I'm not saying this because I know you and how you are living your life in that sense. But what I'm saying is, I I personally know of many churches that have full-time, you know, when you are a full-time worker for the church, when you come to, other people come to church on Sunday and they go to their office Monday to Friday, you, you come to church on Sunday, and then you come to church as your office, Monday to Friday. Sometimes they even come on Saturdays. And sometimes, because when you come, you will pray. Sometimes you have um, devotion at 12 noon. I know some churches that that's the way it operates. You come in in the morning, we have a prayer meeting. Around noon, we have, um, we have a time of sharing the word. And then maybe before we go home again, we may pray again. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes some of those people, they come away with the idea that, ah, even this prayer, if it's dangerous now, that's how it will become overdose. You know? So maybe what to do is, I will stop praying all by myself at home. I will stop reading my Bible. I will get to office and we will pray. We will share the word again. That's the way some people have it. If that's the way you have it, it is wrong. It's very, very wrong. If that's the way you, if that's your understanding of how to live your life as a Christian, then there are serious issues with that. So, the the first commitment we should all have as supportive ministers is a devotion to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. The next commitment we should have is a devotion to the body of Christ in general and to this local assembly in particular. 
we should have a commitment to the body of Christ in general and to this local assembly in particular. Now, you see, when we say we should have a commitment to the body of Christ in general, it's very important because I look at contemporary Christianity in Nigeria and I wonder how we got here. Sometimes people behave like each church is going to have its own separate heaven. Have you noticed that before? Yes. There is a way that we sometimes look at each other that would have been amusing if it were not so tragic. Do you know that many of you that you are looking at today and you are saying, hmm, they don't know the Bible, they don't know the word. You know, we are the ones that have a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. Many people in those churches, you see them in heaven. Now, they may look at you and say, how I wish I had known what you knew while we were on earth. But here we are. We're all in heaven together. Because from God's perspective, what you need really to be a child of God in glory is to be born again. I like to say it this way. Anybody who is good enough for God should be good enough for you. If God says, anyone who comes to me in the name of Jesus, I will in no wise cast out. You should not, don't try to have a higher standard than God. You know, this is very important to me because I used to be like that. In those days, I had some questions that... Once I ask you, and your answer to most of those questions is no, I don't even want to, not that I don't want to ever greet you, but I can't imagine myself sitting down with you to say, oh yeah, let me hear what you have to say. Why? Because ah, you, are not, you are not a serious Christian now. Do you get my point? But the truth is, God has no such standard. God says, if you are born again, that's all God is really looking. Now, he expects us to grow. He expects us to know the things that are freely given to us. But if the person doesn't know, because God is not rejecting that person because they don't know that, we should not, we shouldn't reject that person. So there is a need for that commitment to the body of Christ in general. I must see myself as a member of the body of Christ in general. You know, one of the things that shows that we don't understand this devotion to the body of Christ is when um, maybe there's a pastor out there that has been embroiled in some scandal. And then we join other believers, unbelievers, to mock them. It shows we don't have a grasp of what it means to be committed to the body of Christ. Someone says, ah, no, in our own church, we don't tolerate that kind of nonsense. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, that man, say, ah, it's because you don't know these pastors. He did that thing they are saying. Stop, we are not covering up. What we are saying is, that man is your brother. He is a part of our father's kingdom. You know, the truth is this. Unbelievers, they don't know the difference between a good pastor and a bad pastor. I've heard it before. Uh, all these churches, they are all the same. All these pastors, all they want is your money. Have you heard that before? Yes. So the moment you join them in rubbishing another pastor, 
The day they are rubbishing your own pastor, you won't be able to talk. The day you join them in mocking and condemning another church, the day they take on your own church, you will not be able to talk. Why? Because, in fact, if you try to, the day you try to defend your own church, they will say, ah, ah, but you, this is what we said about pastors, that and you are saying is true, it's true. Do we, do we get my point? So we should have that, com- you know, I like to say this. Maybe we, have, um, maybe we have all night prayers in this church, and then you are going home very early on Saturday morning, you know, and then you see a small crowd on your street. They are laughing at a man that's maybe a drunkard that's fallen into the gutter. Some have even brought out their phone and they are snapping pictures. From where you were at the end of the street, you were laughing too that, ah, this, this is my area. I need to move here to a better, from here to a better place where you don't see things like this. And when you get closer, you see that it's your brother. Will you keep on laughing and snapping picture? No. You will protect him because he's your brother. You will have an issue with all those who are taking pictures. You will want to bring him out, help him. You may be upset with him. Why are you disgracing us like this? But the place to be upset with him is not in public. Sometimes when we say, don't talk like that, it's not because we are condoning. It's because we are waiting until we get inside the room. And then we tell him, do you know what you've done is really horrible? We can be very frank and very firm with one another, privately. But the public, social media, is not a place to go to and be liking posts where they are insulting another church, another pastor. It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. We that we know better, we should do better. Well, so it's important. We must have that commitment. We must have that devotion to the body of Christ in general. You are part of a universal brotherhood of men and women who are born again and who Jesus Christ considers as part of his body. We should also have a commitment to our own local assembly in particular. You know, the challenge that some Christians have is that this thing of having a commitment to the body of Christ in general, they have taken it too far. I've seen some people say, ah, me, I can, I can worship anywhere. Well, what they mean to say is, I can fellowship everywhere. But let me not get into that because I don't think we are here to distinguish between worship and fellowship. But the, you know, many times people ask you, where do you worship? I'm tempted to say I worship everywhere, but I know that's not what they mean. What they mean actually is, where do you fellowship? Yes, I'm not supposed to fellowship everywhere just because I have a devotion to the body of Christ in general. I'm not supposed to fellowship everywhere. You know, if we are discussing a young lady, and then you say, ah, you see that girl? There is no hotel that she doesn't know in Lagos. You know, and say, ah, uh-uh, ah, are you serious? Ah, uh, you're all new. 
say, let me call her. And you call her. You say, Sister Delilah, come. Um, do you like this hotel? Eh, they are trying, but you know, their AC is not good. You mention another hotel. Ah, eh, you know, their car park is far from the hotel. You walk a long distance from the car park. Uh, okay, what about this other one? Ah, they are food. They are food. They get as it be. You know, you mention another one. Their drinks are never cold. You know, you start developing an impression about that young lady. You get my point? You start, ah, <laughs> well done. You are very experienced though. You know, you, you start to, that's the same way a Christian should not know every church in Lagos. Some people think it's a sign of how serious they are as Christians. Now, if you are a Reverend Tokes or maybe a Pastor Paul that has an itinerant ministry, it's okay. You can know churches because you are always getting invitations to go and minister there. Or maybe if you are not even operating at that level, maybe you are just um, you are a music minister and your ministry has gone beyond this church You've been getting invitations to go and minister in other churches. And your pastor graciously approves for you to go. That's fine. But a situation where you are a worker in this church, but you are hardly ever in church because ah, they are having a, a, a three-day power-packed crusade in this church. They are having an anointing service in that church. They are having... look. We are not saying don't attend programs held, hosted by other churches. In fact, the Bible tells us if an unbeliever bids you to a feast and you be disposed to go. So even when unbelievers are holding programs, if you want, you can go. But do not make it a habit to go at an expense of what we are doing in this church. Do you get what I mean? There are some people... You rarely see them in church. And when you ask, eh, my colleague in the office said they are having a program. Well, do not get to that place where programs in other churches are more important than service in this church. If you have to go, let it be once in a while and let your pastor or your HOD know. Let them know I won't be. You see, how many people... When you don't feel like it, you just stay away from work without telling anybody. <laughs> but sometimes in the church, you have a situation where your pastor or your HOD is saying, ah, we didn't see you in church last Sunday. Yes, um, ah, there was this church, they were having a program, so I said, let me just go. You know, sometimes you even have people who are in what I call special situations. Like maybe you could have a woman that she's been believing God for the fruit of the womb for years. And then they tell her, ah, somebody is coming to do a special prayer for those that are, you know, believing God for the fruit of the womb. As important as that is to you personally, tell your pastor or your HOD before you go. You see, the truth is this. If they love you, I don't think they will say, don't go. But it shows your own heart. It shows your own heart that you have a... You see, even at work, if maybe your child is sick, your boss will not tell you, abandon your child and start coming to work. But you still have a duty 
to tell your boss, sorry, I won't be able to make it or I'll be coming in a bit late because I have to take my child to the hospital. So it's what shows that you understand what you are doing here. You understand your commitments to this church. That is in the few and far occasions when you have to be absent from church. Do we see it? Yes. If you can be consistently away and ah, we are just... It means, it means you are not doing anything serious in this church. It means you might as well not be here. It means that your impact here is... You know, I tell people, instead of always going for all these, oh, they have anointing service, oh, they are going to lay hands, oh, they are... Why not go there and be there permanently? I'm not saying that because I want to chase people away from this church, but is it that you don't believe that we have God here too? Is it that you don't believe that what is being imparted here can bless you too? I don't understand it. For some people, it's like they're always looking for one program or the other. Another one that I find amusing is when you put on your TV and somebody is there. You know, I say many times that the quality of preaching, the quality of preaching that you see on TV sometimes, you wonder whether it's not better to just watch a secular program. Some, I mean, I'm not saying that for everybody, but some programs I've seen on TV that's meant to be a preacher. You see some people on TV, they'll say, ah, if you can only give maybe 25,000 now, so, so, so will happen, on unprecedented breakthrough. And you see Christians quickly bring out their phones and start sending the money. Whereas that same person cannot remember any time they gave money to their own pastor. You know, if you have any challenge in your life, that pastor is not going to show up. The numbers you see on the TV, if you call that number, is a youth copper that will pick it. You will never get to speak with that pastor. But he's saying, send me 25,000 naira. You are quickly sending it. You see, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. That's just the truth. Sometimes you see a man on TV preaching and you think, man, this guy is so anointed. His church members are tired of him. I'm telling you that for, for real. The same way you see Pastor Paul sometimes, and you're like, ah, Pastor Paul, ah, okay, well done, sir. You know? Why? Because see finish has entered the matter. You know? But you see, when you see someone, you know, some people are listening to me preach, and they're like, ah, see the way he's just, but you see, it's because I rarely come here. If I start coming to preach every Sunday, you will see me finish also. Anything that is so regular as to be, you know, I say this all the time. Sometimes you see a man that is tired of his wife. I, I kid you not, he's literally tired. And all the other men are shocked. They are surprised. Ah, this woman that is so beautiful, this woman that is so pretty. Well, you only see her after she has, you know, he, he wakes up and he sees her 5 a.m. in the morning. This is how her mouth is open and saliva is coming out. <laughs> 
all those men that think she's the most beautiful woman in my office, she's the, they never see her like that. I tell women too, see, by the time you dress up in the morning, if maybe, maybe your husband doesn't do a nine-to-five job, you know, he's the sort of person that he doesn't sleep till like 3 a.m., but he doesn't wake up till like 10 a.m., wake him up to see you. Do you get what I'm saying? Wake him up, let him see, ah, see, me too, I'm very beautiful, oh. don't think he's only all those girls that are, I'm very beautiful, look at me well. For, there are some couples that the only time he sees her is when she has washed away all the face paint. And so he doesn't appreciate what every man out there sees. And they are like, ah, this woman, after three kids, she still looks good. You know, he sees her the way she looks without the packaging. That's the way many pastors and many churches look. If you want to know whether a house is dirty, Many times, it's not from what you will see from the front door and the, and the living room. Yes, many times you want to know whether a house is dirty, go to the backyard, go to the rooms, go to, you know, there are some houses, the visitor's toilet looks impeccable, but look at the ones that they are using. That's when you know whether there is serious hygiene in this house or not. That's the way most ministries look good from afar. They look good from afar. I remember I, I watched a music video once, and I thought, oh, this thing must have been done abroad. They said, no, there is no abroad. I said, really? They mentioned the hall where they shot that music video, and I realized I had been in that hall many times. I said, how did they make it look like this? They laughed. They said, ah, that one is our own work. So, you know, that's the way many, ch- many churches, especially the ones you see online, you know, or, or on TV, that's the way they are packaged for you. It's until you, you know, you, you see a man preaching, you never say, ah, I wonder what this man is really like. Because you are just listening to him preach, you think, ah, this is, this is such a good man. But it's until you move closer to him that you'll know that, ah, so this man he puts his trousers on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. <laughs> so learn to appreciate your own church. All those people that say, oh, he's a big man of God, is the offering that they are giving in that church that makes... In Nigeria, when they say you're a big man of God, it's really about your knowledge of the scriptures. It's really about... It's just about, oh, he has a lot of people and money in his ministry. If you give to your own, if you support your own, we'll be big here too. It's a no-brainer. So don't be part of those people that you are so familiar with your own pastor, your own leadership, your own church, that you don't appreciate it anymore. You don't appreciate it so much. Well, let's move on from there. The third thing I want to talk about is that the... Why, what's, what's, with the um, what's with the timer? How many more minutes do we have? It was set. Sorry? 
Five minutes beyond the 50 minutes. Okay, let's take a, let's take a five-minute break. When we come back, we'll go off, um, of a great supportive minister. And we had only looked at two. The first one, we said we need to be committed to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God. And then the second one, we said we need to have a commitment to the body of Christ in general and to the local assembly in particular. Um, you see... In Think about it. Suppose you work for a very large business that has branches all over Nigeria, maybe like a bank, you know? When something is going wrong with a branch of that bank, you don't ever say, well, that's not my branch, so it cannot affect me. If that branch gives out a loan that brings the bank down, you may have to start job hunting. So what they are doing really, really affects you or can affect you potentially. But then just because you have a commitment to that business in general does not mean that when you wake up in the morning and it's time to go to work, you just go to any office. You still have to report at your own branch. Do you get my point? Yes. If your boss calls you and says, where are you? You cannot say, well, I saw another branch, so I decided to go and work there today. You know, now, there may be some special assignments that mean you go to another branch. Maybe you went there to audit them. Maybe you went there to review their processes. Maybe you went there to, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is you went there for. But even that must be officially sanctioned. It must be officially approved. So that's what we are saying, that you are a member of the body of Christ in general, and your commitment should be to the body of Christ in general, but you also have a commitment to this local assembly. We said, don't be in the habit of being missing in action, and then when they ask you, you say, well, I was in another church. It's the same God we are serving. It's the same God we are serving, but he has given you specific assignments in this local assembly, which you should preoccupy yourself with. Now, the next thing we want to talk about along the lines of our commitments as supportive ministers is a great supportive minister must have a commitment to the supportive ministry, must have a commitment to the supportive ministry. Now, some people, some supportive ministers seem to think that God has placed them in the church to monitor the pastor and report him to God whenever he's not getting it right. You see, the truth is this. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Whether they be good or bad. When it's time for God to judge you, he will always judge you based on who you were on earth, what you did on earth, and your motives for doing what you did. He will never factor Pastor Paul Rotua into the equation. Do you get what I'm saying? God will never look at you and say, ah, you tried, but because Pastor Paul was not a good pastor. God will never say that. Whether he is a good pastor or not, 
is between him and God. Some people, because they are obsessed with pastors should not be doing this, pastors should not be doing that, they have left their own ministry in the church, which is the supportive ministry. You know, let me give a few examples along these lines. How many people have ever been on a plane before and then the plane is having some turbulence? Maybe not everybody, but you've, you've seen in some movies how it goes. You know, some are so bad. Sometimes the turbulence is so bad that some people start vomiting. Yes, by the time the plane just goes up and down, you know, you have this urge to throw up. It is at that time that you see hardened unbelievers. They will give their lives to Jesus. <laughs> Even those who have been born again for 15 years, 20 years, they will quickly give their life again, just in case. Just in case. But you see, for some of them, especially the unbelievers, once we land safely, they will take their life back again. <laughs> now, the thing is this. At those times when the plane is going through that turbulence and everybody is really concerned, do you know what some of those um, flight attendants, do you know what they do? They start to stroll up and down. They are not having a tongue stroll. It's psychological. They want to communicate to you that ah, you, you are sitting in a seat, you are afraid. Me, I'm even walking about showing no emotion. What are they trying to do? They are trying to communicate to you that it's no big deal. You know, sometimes we have, we could have like a crisis in the church. And then at that time, people feel, oh, we have a crisis. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And part of their own answer to that question is to begin to go around to people. Ah, hey, this one that this is happening in the church, what are we going to do? We need to start praying, you know. In fact, I don't think, the way I'm looking at this, I don't think Pastor Paul can handle it, you know. If you can even see him, the pressure has gotten to him. See the way, me, I don't, hey. That's wrong. That's bad. You see, whenever there is a crisis in the church, that is the time when you should face your work in that church and do it very well. As though it's the way you do your work that will make the crisis to go away. If you want to pray, pray by yourself. Don't recruit people for prayer. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Imagine we are in that plane, and then there is the turbulence, and everybody is concerned, and then the flight attendant goes to the cockpit and knocks. Um, pilot, press that red button now. Don't you know? Press that red button. You know, you, do, you, do you get what That would not help the people. And it will not help. At that point, you are just distracting the pilot at a time when he probably needs to concentrate some more. At that point, that's not the time the flight attendant let me come and help you. Let me come and don't help him. Face your own work with the passengers. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Face your own work. Do it very well. Let's use another example. Suppose we have a couple, you know, they are, well, they were doing fine financially, they have a nice house, their kids are going to very expensive schools, you know, they have a maid, and they are living in a nice flat, maybe somewhere here in Yaba. 
And then some things go wrong. Their finances are not doing so well. And it gets so bad that one day they send the children home from school. Well, we've tried to be understanding with the school fees, but you haven't paid, so just go home. And then the maid receives them and, you know, that's it. Then later in the evening, mommy and daddy come home and, you know, maybe later they sit down at the dining table to have a meal. To have a meal. And then the maid comes, sits down with them at the dining table and says, Oga, madam, um, I came to talk with you. Let's discuss this issue of school fees because I don't like the way they sent Junior and his sister home. Is that the way it works? Is that the way it should work? No. If, if you are a maid in that house, just be praying that when it's end of the month, they should still have money to pay your own salary. You see, sometimes church members or church workers behave like the challenges in the church, like they are the ones that God gave the primary responsibility to address those challenges. You are not the one. In case you weren't sure, I'm telling you now, you are not the one. You see, you didn't call Pastor Paul to ministry. If he's having any kind of challenge in this church, any kind of crisis, leave him and God. To, so he's the one that heard from God. Leave him. See, at best, if you are really concerned over anything that is going on in the church, call him privately. Say, Pastor, I know that things are not so rosy now, but I want you to know that I'm here for you. Any way in which you think I can help, Please tell me. Do you get my point? Leave it at that. Pastor, I'm praying for you. I know God will give you the wisdom to get through this. Leave, leave it at that. Privately pray for him. Do you know sometimes something happens in the church that's not necessarily ideal, that's not necessarily the best, and people that are going about from house to house to say, hmm, let us pray, let us pray, they are the ones spreading the gist. You ask many people, how did you even hear about this situation? Ah, um, it was Sister Jezebel that came to my house that day. You know, and she said we should be praying. That's the same way she has gone around to everybody to recruit them for prayer. People like that, they don't pray many times. All they do is that ministry of going from house to house. You get my point? So your devotion should be to your own supportive ministry. See, if Pastor Paul is such a bad pastor, God will handle that. God will never say, ah, I would have given you past Mark as a supportive minister, but you know that your pastor was not really a good pastor. God will never say that. But it's possible for the pastor to be a good pastor, and then you, you score zero, because when you should have simply been supporting you were more interested in looking over his shoulder. Is he doing it well? Is he doing it? There are some people that, you know, sometimes you see a barber and, you know, it must be a, it must be a move of the Spirit. It must be by the Spirit of God. He knows how to run the country better than Buhari. Have you ever noticed most Nigerians are like that? Most Nigerians, they are better at playing football than Cristiano Ronaldo. They know how he should have played it. They know, if you, are, if you had played like you, you scored that goal now, why did you go and miss the goal now? 
You know, and I always think to myself, ah, you are just wasting your talent here. Instead of you to go and join them and be making millions too, you are wasting your talent here. You know, we always seem to know better than those that are actually doing it. It's not the best. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your pastor. It doesn't help the work. You know, learn to... Imagine, we, we, and we see this, I like to say this, most of the things we do in the body of Christ, we don't try it elsewhere. We don't try it elsewhere. Remember that time when, I think it was um, Professor Charles Oludo, who was the governor of the Central Bank, and he said all banks should recapitalize and raise $25 billion as shareholder equity. How many bank workers the next day went to knock on the MD's office and say, ah, how are we going to raise this money? You know, if you say that, you probably just do a memo to HR and say, sack this person. Because that's not your job. You get what I mean? If you want to help us with that money, go and do your job well. In the church, learn to focus primarily on your own area. Now, if they call you to assist in another area or they ask for your opinion, how do you think we should do this? How do you think we should do that? Fine. But don't get to that place where you are the one that knows how everything should work. You are the one that is always, ah, eh, don't you know that is what, ah, you know, learn to focus, to be devoted to your own ministry. It is when we are all devoted to our ministry that the church can do well. When we are obsessed with what this person is doing. You know, sometimes it's not even with the pastor. Sometimes we are obsessed with other units, other ministries in the church. Learn to focus on your own and do it well. Learn to, have, learn to realize that the primary thing God wants me to do in this church is not to correct those that are wrong is to run my own unit well, to serve in my own unit well. Do we, do we see what I'm saying? Yes. Let's, um, let's move on. So the last thing we'll say along the lines of our commitments is a great supportive minister should be committed to the pastor or the leader for whom they work. The pastor or the leader for whom they work. You remember when we were introducing this part of the course, we said that the commitments are listed in the order of their importance. Sometimes as Christians, the reason why we don't do so well is because we have missed the order of our commitments. My commitment should first of all be to Jesus Christ and to the word of God before it is to the body of Christ and to this church. When I put a commitment to this church ahead of my commitment to Jesus Christ and the word of God, if I happen to be attending a church that is not even following the Bible anymore, I will still be there. Because my primary commitment is not to the Bible. It is to church. For all of, that's why some people find it hard to leave the church where they are attending. Ah, no, that's where my parents are. My grandfather was the first catechist in our village. We have a seat in the village church. So regardless of what they are going through, they will stay in that church, even if the church, they know that this church is not following the word of God. 
Because their primary commitment is to the church. Our commitment, first of all, should be to Jesus Christ and to the word of God. After that, to the church. After that, to your own supportive ministry. It is after you have discharged your commitments to these three, um, th- these three things that you must now be committed to the ministry of the pastor or the leader under whom you serve. We should always know that after we have discharged that commi- those three commitments, our inclination now is, how can I help pastor? How can I help my pastor? How can I help my HOD? in their ministry in this church. Sometimes you see supportive ministers and say, ah, ever since I was in secondary school, God has given me a vision that. And then they want to start using this church as a platform for that vision. Well, maybe God has given you that vision and maybe God is still going to use you to execute that vision in time to come. But while you are here, know that your primary commitment is to the vision of this church, not your own. You know, sometimes when we talk like this, we say, "Ah, are you saying God did not give me a vision? No. We are saying that the same God who gave you a vision also gave Pastor Paul a vision, and this is his own platform. You know, sometimes the vision God gave you, Pastor Paul himself will see it, and he will allow you to use this church as a platform for that vision. For example, you could be someone that ages ago God told you that you were going to serve in the area of music. You know? Look at someone like Sinach, for example. Her ministry has gone beyond um, Christ Embassy. But you see, it started first there because Christ Embassy gave her the right hand of fellowship. If she had been trying to use Christ Embassy rather than serve in Christ Embassy, she may not be where she is today. So I tell people, if there is a vision God has given you, you see, the, one of the big mistakes you can make in ministry is to try, is you trying to bring the vision to pass. When God has given you a vision, there are two things you must do. Prepare to serve and then wait. For some of us, the vision may never get executed because we don't prepare. But with most people, the challenge is not that they are not preparing. The challenge is that they are bad at waiting. If God has given you to work with kids, there's a children's church in this um, in this church, you know, recently they hosted Rema Kids, you know, and it's because they had checked around and they saw that the facilities in this church is actually better than what many people have for kids. You can serve there, but not with the idea that, ah, I'm using this church to fulfill the ministry, to fulfill the vision that God gave me. I'm in this church, I'm waiting for the vision God gave me to come to pass, but while I am here, I will serve God by helping in the children's church over here. Do we get it? It's when you are faithful at that, that that vision God has given you will truly come to pass. But when you are obsessed with, ah, when will my own come? Ah, I'm just here. Ah, I'm just here. I'm not, ah, in fact, my vision, my, it may never come to pass. 
Because there are some things God will always want you to learn before you move to the next stage. Well, that's that with respect to our four commitments. Then we want to talk about three priorities. Three priorities of a great supportive minister. What do we mean when we talk about a priority? A priority is something that you, you treat as being more important than other important things. Do we get my point? For example, suppose you live close to me, and then, okay, we met in this church, we become friends, we become acquaintances, and every morning when you are leaving your house, you see me, and you always drop by to greet me, talk for five minutes. You know, a day may come when I'm right there in front of my house, you are passing, and I'm greeting you, and you say, please, let's talk later, I'm in a hurry. Why? Because talking with me is not important. It may be important, but you have something that's more important right now. So when we are talking about priorities, we are saying that there are some things that we must prioritize as supportive ministers, to be great supportive ministers. That's what we want to consider in this section. And the first, um, the first thing that we want to talk about along the lines of priorities is a great supportive minister must prioritize the purpose of God. You must prioritize the purpose of God. You see, the truth is this. In our lives, there are many things that we purpose to do, that we decide to do, that it's until later that we discover that, even though you thought, this is a good idea, let me do it, God's purpose was actually involved. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yes. There are, I mean... Sometimes that's what we just discover. I thought I was just taking a normal decision. I thought, okay, no big deal. Let me take this decision. But later I come to see that God's purpose was involved. And you know, being a member of this church is one of those things. I don't know how you found your way to this church, but I'm willing to bet that for most of us, it's not like you received a vision from the Lord. You know, some people say, ah, I just saw those words in my spirit, Kingsville, Kingsville. <laughs> ah. So I now went on Google. I said Kingsville, and I saw Kingsville Church, and I traced it, and that's how I started attending this church. Most people did not, for most people, that's not the way it happened. You know, people have all sorts of funny reasons for ending up in a local assembly. Sometimes. Some people have this approach of, ah, my idea is, I will attend the, whichever church is closer to my house. So you see them, they are attending a particular church, then another church starts on their street. They will leave that church where they were before and start attending the one that is on their street. You get my point? Because that's their own mentality. Why should I have to walk? To them, attending church is like buying fuel. Just buy from the nearest filling station. No need for a long journey. So, you know, if there is a church on the second street, then another one is now, they will see the pastor of that church and say, ah, we now have a church closer to our house. Well done, sir. And that's the end of it. Now, if you came to Kingsville Church based on that kind of thinking, 
it's important for you to prioritize God's purpose for bringing you here. Because sometimes you may just be looking at it that, ah, my car went bad. I didn't want to be spending money on transport. So I said, okay, is there a good church that is close to the house? And I started attending. That may be the way you were thinking, but sometimes there is God's purpose in it. And it's important for all of us to prioritize God's purpose because whenever God puts you in the local assembly, there is something he wants that local assembly to bless you with, and there is something he wants you to bless the local assembly with. If you don't prioritize the purpose of God, you may never, that divine exchange may not happen. You may never receive the purpose for which you came here, and you may never be able to bless this church the way you should because you, don't, you are not prioritizing that purpose. You, you see what I mean? You know, some people, <laughs> I've heard this one before, some people, the church where they were attending, they were part of the women's fellowship, and the women's fellowship used to have a monthly contribution. You know, drop 1,000 to pack 100,000. You know, but somehow, whenever it's her turn to pack, the whole thing will crash, the whole thing will scatter, and she will not be able to pack anything. So maybe she hears that, oh, in Kingsville Church, they also have a contribution. Um, drop 1,000 to pack 1 million. So she quickly, you know, does a transfer and she shows up here. Now, your purpose, if your purpose is to come here, drop 1,000 and pack 1 million. And then you find that a few months after you arrived, uh, Pastor Shade says, you know this contribution is becoming a distraction. Let's stop it. What do you think will happen to that person? She will start looking for another church again. You know? But when you realize that God's purpose goes beyond that purpose you had, that is what will encourage you to stay here and be a blessing to the church. And the church is a blessing to you. So it's very, very important for us to prioritize God's purpose. Know that, look, I'm not just going to Kingsville Church because ah, Sunday morning is not good for a Christian to be at home. You know, but I'm going there because there's something that God wants me to be a blessing to this church with. And there's something that God wants this church to be a blessing to me with. It's very, very important. Sometimes you see a young man, how did you end up in this church? Ah, there was one day. I was in a bus, and there was this young lady in that bus. Ah, and she was fair to behold. She was beautiful beyond description. And that day, I was actually going to Jibou, but when she stopped at um, Casino, me too, I just dropped, you know? And I was even trying to call her attention, but she was just walking fast, and she was catwalking, and she was going, and I kept following her until she entered Akimumi Street and she just did a left turn at number two and entered into, that's how I followed her into the building before I realized it's a church. And when I entered, the ushers just locked the door. And I was looking around for her. I couldn't see her anymore. So if you look around, look around, and you can't see that young lady, you may leave. But when you realize that God has a higher purpose for bringing you to this church than following catwalking ladies, then you may be able to fulfill 
God's will for your life in being a blessing to this church and letting this church be a blessing to you. Um, the next thing we'll talk about along the lines of priorities, things that you must prioritize, is you must prioritize respecting the office of your pastor or your HOD. Prioritize respecting the office of your pastor or your HOD. Now, you see, as Nigerians, we are very good with respect. It's something that many of us are taught in African culture to show respect, you know. But most times, what we are taught to respect is not office. We are taught to respect age. We are taught to respect wealth. We are taught to respect influence. But many times, we don't understand the need to respect an office. Many times, we are even taught to respect good character. Now, it's good for us to respect all these things, you know, but it's also good for us to learn to respect an office. You know, I remember um, I have a friend. When President Jonathan was in office, he couldn't stand President Jonathan. In fact, the straightforward way to say it is that he hated him. He called him all sorts of names you could think of. And he also called him many other names you shouldn't think of. You know, he, he, I mean, let me not repeat some of the names that he called President Jonathan. He couldn't stand him. And then we all know what happened in 2015. President Buhari came in. Now, he was a fan of President Buhari, you know. And after a while, people started complaining about President Buhari like we always do, you know. This guy got upset. He said, why would you, why would you say that? Why would you talk like that, you know? So after a while, when I couldn't stand his complaining again, I said, do you remember that when President Jonathan was in office, I used to tell you, at least if you don't like, you don't have to like the man, you don't have to agree with his politics or his policies, but respect him simply because he's the president. He said, no, that's different. I said, how is it different? They are both presidents, aren't they? He said, no, you should get what I mean. President Buhari is a good man. He's well-meaning. He may not be doing, we may not be getting the results the way he needs to get it, but I said, no. No, that's not, the, respect the office of the president. You know, for many of us, what we respect is good character. So as long as your pastor or your HOD is behaving himself, you will have all the respect for him. Do we get it? But the day he does something wrong, ah, I've always known that, you know, somehow I just knew that this man, he just seems to be a good man. I just knew that there's something. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That's the way many of us behave because we respect the man's good character, not his office. So when I stand up and, and I say, ah, you know we are supposed to respect Pastor Paul, immediately what's coming to our mind is, why should we not respect a man of good character? 
But the danger with that is that he is human. A day may come when he will talk to you the way he should not talk to you, when he, sh- he will do something he's not supposed to do. You, you, you get the picture I'm painting. And then after that, the respect is gone. He is still the pastor. He is still occupying that office. But what we respected was not the office. What we respected was the good character. So immediately we are made to believe that he has made a mistake. All the respect goes out of the window. That's wrong. You know, we have an example in Bible. Look at Saul and David. David had done so many things, good things in the service of of, um, Saul. And after all said and done, Saul wanted to kill David. It got so bad that Saul left the Philistines he was meant to be fighting. He was hunting David all over the land. It came to a time when Saul was chasing David. David ran into a cave. Saul and his men, they entered that cave too. And they slept at the entrance of the cave. Saying, well, you will come out and then we will kill you. In the night, while Saul and his men were sleeping, David and his men came out and saw them. And one of them, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, he turned to David. He must have been whispering. He said, ah, finally, God has handed over your enemy into our hands. You know, David was the leader of a group of very bad boys. Very bad boys. This guy looked at David and said, you know, I will strike him just once. I will not need to strike him a second time. Imagine how wicked that man must have been. A human being. He said, ah, you know that me, I only strike once and he's dead. David said, no. They sneaked out of the cave. After they sneaked out, they called Saul from a distance. David let Saul know, I could have killed you, but I spared your life. Why? Because you are the Lord's anointed. Another time came, almost an identical situation. This time, David said, maybe he didn't get the memo last time. So he took out his knife and cut off part of Saul's robe. When they were afar, he said, Saul, can you see I cut your robe? I could have cut your neck instead. After a while, David's conscience smote him. And he started to ask himself, where did I get the boldness to cut off the robe of the Lord's anointed? That's how much reverence David had. For It wasn't about Saul's character. Based on Saul's character, he should have killed him. But you know, if he had killed Saul, do you know what he would have been communicating to all of Israel? It's okay to kill a misbehaving king. And then what would happen to him when he becomes king? You know, sometimes the reason why a good man, one house please, One house. Sometimes the reason why a good man cannot do much good in an office is because when a bad man was occupying that office, we disrespected the office. We we made the office, we subjected that office to ridicule. 
I'm not saying this so that people can occupy an office and be bad there, but I'm saying that regardless of how someone behaves, let us always learn to respect the office. Let us know that it is good to respect good character. It's great. I respect it myself. The Bible teaches us to appreciate those that have good character, but appreciate people for the office in which they stand. Regardless of what happens, regardless of how it happens, the pastor is still the pastor. Your HOD is still the HOD. Never let them become demeaned in your eyes. Do you see that, you know, I remember I used to, I used to have this friend, a lady, she's in the UK now. But one day, she was, she was, um, Excuse me. She was sharing on, um, is it Matthew 6 now? And she made a statement that has stayed with me since. Talking about that part where Jesus went to his hometown. And Bible says he could there do no mighty works. He could there do no mighty works. He could there do no mighty works. Why? The anointing was not flowing at that time. Is that why? No. He could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. My friend said omnipotence was rendered impotent because men would not believe. That was the son of God, the one who had the spirit without measure. That was the son of God, the one who laid aside his majesty and was found in fashion as a man. Bible says he could there do no mighty works because of men's unbelief. I've noticed something personally. Many pastors do better in itinerant ministry than on their own pulpits. I've noticed it. Some pastors, they even prefer to be on the road because they know there's a way God uses me when I'm away from this pulpit. It's not because the pulpit is charmed or there are some witches in the congregation is because many times in the body of Christ, we tend to have this attitude of, oh, who is preaching? Oh, it's Pastor Paul. Eh? I even thought they would bring a, a special guest. We've gotten to the point where we are tired of receiving the man. We want to hear, you know, ah, can't we even, yes, can't we even, eh, I've heard most of his sermons. You know, if we say we are going to have a healing service in this church, most people always be like, who is coming? You know, there are some names you want to hear. That, ah, that's the person that can lay hands on me and I will be healed. But if they say, ah, it's Pastor Paul that will preach, they'll say, eh, okay, I hope it won't take long, Sha. <laughs> Meanwhile, the same man, when they invite him in some other places, they'll say, oh, we're going to have a great man of God from Lagos, Nigeria. You know, his name is Pastor Paul Roto. And those people will get excited and be, you know. Someone told me this years ago and I was surprised. Said there was one time in Sierra Leone, they had a riot. I said, what caused the riot? Said, news had gone around that Aki and Popo were coming. <laughs> and then they couldn't make it. And then a huge crowd of people that were assembled at the airport to see them live were upset. <laughs> the same Aki and Popo that 
So there's a way that, you know, there's a way that, I believe it was Pastor Kenneth Hagin that said that he's respected more in Nigeria than in Texas, USA, where he was born and where he grew up. They respect him more in Nigeria. There's something about our own that we tend to despise, that we tend to look down on, that we tend to take as trivial. Let's not be caught. It is not good. Let's just summarize it that way. Learn to hype your pastor. Learn to hype your own. Learn to have a sense of expectation when he ministers. Learn to pray for him. You know, many times, if, if someone like Pastor Paul were to say, oh, I'm going to minister somewhere in the U.S. or somewhere in Europe, many of us will start praying for him. That, ah, he needs to do well. God needs to use him. You know? But if he says, I'm going to be ministering next Sunday, say, eh, ah, okay. There's a way that this pastor on this pulpit, in this church, in this yaba, doesn't mean much to us again. For us to really have even a sense of expectation, you know, something must change in that configuration. It can't be this pastor on this pulpit in this church. Then we must yeah, change it small. I remember Brother Kenneth, uh, Reverend Kenneth Hagin used to say that when you, come, when you come to church, you should never have this attitude of bless me if you can. Bless me if you can means, ah, well, I'll come, oh, it's up to you whether I will get blessed or not. Bless me if you can. Instead, you must always go with a sense of expectation. Lord, I thank you because as Pastor Paul, as Pastor Shade begin to minister this Sunday morning, they will be such a blessing to me. You see, when you don't expect much from what they are doing, what they are saying, you are reducing your own ability to be blessed. Whatever it is that they have to offer, you know, at best, other people who have that sense of expectation will receive it. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, unto us was the word preached as well as unto them. Unto us was gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them that heard it, not being mixed with faith. So you see, many times when the word of God is being ministered, there, it's more about your own sense of expectation, your own faith, your own inclination to receive than God's inclination to bless you. Well, um, there's no point turning this to a message on faith, but it's very important for us to learn to respect the office of the pastor. When we don't, it affects us more than it affects him. It affects our own ability to receive. And many times when you don't, you are sowing a seed for how people will receive you. How people will respect you. Let's move on. The last priority that um, we'll talk about, remember we said um, we're looking at three attitudes, four commitments, and three priorities of a supportive minister. So the third priority that we'll look at um, is we must learn to prioritize 
working with the personality of the pastor or the HOD. Remember we said most of the things that we are talking about does not just apply to the pastor, but any other person who is in a leadership role. We must learn to prioritize working with the personality of the pastor or the leader. Let me ask, how many HODs do we have in this church? 13. That's quite a number. Now, let's look at this illustration. Um, if pastor has to work with all these HODs, that's one person working with 13 people, will it be easier if the pastor um, adjusts to suit the personality of those 13 people or those 13 people adjust to suit the personality of one person? Do we understand the question? Yes. Which will be better? The latter. Yes. You see, it is easier for 13 people to adjust to one person than for one person to adjust to 13 people. You know, the, 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 the thing with personality is this. Personality is unique to all of us. All of us have our personality. Our personality, and personality is not necessarily good or bad. It is just who we are. We are not talking about a bad attitude. It is selfish for a leader to say, get used to my sinful attitude. Do we get my point? But personality is not necessarily sinful. It's just me and how I like it. Some people, you know, when they, some people are coffee people. Some are tea people. There's nothing wrong with being a coffee person or being a tea person. Or saying, I don't like either coffee or tea. That's just your own personality. Of course, some people, when they make you that beverage, you are tempted to say, if this is coffee, bring me tea. And if this is tea, bring me coffee. You don't know what they've put together there, but it doesn't matter. That's just their own personality. Do you get my point? And we should adjust. Let me give a more practical example. You know, one example of places where we can differ in our personality is in the area of communication. You know, in the area of how we prefer to receive communications, we can be very, idio you know, you can see all sorts of idiosyncrasies in the body, out of the body of Christ. Sometimes you are chatting with someone. You say, I've sent you the mail. Maybe chatting on WhatsApp. They will say, forward it here. They never check their mails. There are some people, I sent you the mail five days ago. Why didn't you tell me you have sent the mail? Well, the mail, the mail should tell you that I've sent the mail. <laughs> you know, I don't, do I need to put a call through to you to say I've sent the mail? If that's what he wants, do it that way. Do it that way. You know, some people are not WhatsApp people. You send them a message, you see that double blue tick. That means that they've read it. You know? 
And they'll say, ah, if you had sent it as an SMS. I'll be like, you still use SMS? If he still uses SMS, use it with him like that. You know, some people, no matter what kind of digital communication you are using, they will say, okay, when we get to church, remind me. I'll be like, you have a reminder on your phone. Do you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. People have all sorts of preferences that will not make sense to me, will not make sense to you. You know, if that's what he prefers. You see, ministry is stressful enough that don't make it harder. Don't make it, however he wants it, do it that way. Sometimes you hear people talking, you know, in, in one conversation of 30 minutes, the man has said, in my former church, like five or six times. And when I hear that, I always pray, ah, God, I wish that former church is still open. Because maybe he may need to go back there. The truth is, even Pastor Paul has his own former church. This is not the church he was attending when he was born. The sooner we all forget about our former churches and settle down with this. Can you, can you date someone? I mean, assuming you are not married now. Can you, or even those who are married, how would you like dating someone or being married to someone that will always say, eh, my ex-boyfriend, eh, my ex-boyfriend, this is how we used to. Will that be any fun? You know, or as a, I think it's ladies that say, well, I don't even know who says it the most. But how would you like it if you had, um, if you had a spouse or a partner that's always comparing you with their ex? You know, if you're a very patient person like me now, you'll just be like, ah, in your mind you'll be thinking, why didn't you marry that your ex? You'll be like, why didn't you just marry your ex? So, I don't know how and why you left your former church. But you see, if you have left, leave indeed. You are here now. Adjust to how we are doing it here. Don't try to bring your former church with you. I also like to ask, how many of you, the ladies especially, how many of you would like, maybe you, take, you get a new housemaid? And then you tell her, you know what, every morning when you wake up, just sweep the kitchen and the living room. Before you start cooking, before you start doing anything else, just sweep. And then the lady says, ah, madam, madam, where have been the work before? We go first chop before we start work. And then because you are a very kind a very considerate person, you say, oh, that's the way you used to do it. Okay, let's start doing it here. Is that the way it works? No. When we are here, let's do it the way, you know, sometimes you see people, I call them committee. Now, I'm not bad-mouthing committees. But sometimes you see people, they will come, they will say, um, um, pastor, I want to see you, sir. Um, you see that there are six of us here, and it's only you over there. Uh-huh. You know, 
you know, you said that this is the way you want it, but really we've discussed. This is the way we prefer it. I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. You know, if you have a suggestion to make on how we should do things differently, communicate it to the pastor privately. Don't go and form a union to come and give you moral support. I think I'm going beyond this point to talking about something that we're going to look at in the next um, section. So let's take, do we do a 10-minute break now or still five minutes? Let's take our seats. Hallelujah. Okay. So um, we've looked at attitudes, commitments, and priorities of a great um, supportive minister. Attitudes, um, um, commitments, and priorities of a great supportive minister. So let's move on now to um, talk about something else. Let's talk about something else. Um, And that is what we call character traits. Character traits of a great supportive minister. Character traits of a great supportive minister. How many more sessions do we have before we end? I want to know how we should manage our time. Okay. Anyway, we're supposed to finish by one. So, yes. Um, Do we have questions? How many people know that? Oh, I have a question. I don't have a question. Please let me see your hand up. No questions. Because if there are no questions, I'm going to plan to use up all the time and not leave time for questions. Are we okay with that? Okay. Just one second. Okay. All right. So, um, thank you very much, sir. Let's, let's just move on. I wanted to know if we should allocate time for questions or not. But um, let's just move on. So, like I said, the next thing we want to talk about is character traits of a great supportive minister. And um, what do we mean by character traits? Character trait is who you are when nobody is watching. Or maybe a better, play, a better way to put it is who you are when you are forgotten to pretend. <laughs> you know, we're all good at pretending. Yes. When um, there are some people, if maybe you meet a friend and then you are talking, and then you discover that a mutual, a mutual acquaintance is now working in their office. Have you, have you had such an, such an experience?